right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Uh, you know, yes, this is Kyle. I'm with Kevin. I'm with Rich's head and Tom's right leg. That's all I can see right now, just so you have an idea of what it looks like to be in the studio uh, here in Dallas uh, area in Texas. And, you know, we've been talking about Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's writing a letter specifically to Timothy. Uh, why? Because Timothy is pastoring a church. He's in Ephesus. And Paul like wants to walk through the process of like, how do you steward sheep? How do you steward sheep in a, in a way that like they can know and experience the presence of God? And it's hard. And so yesterday we began talking through what Paul was writing to Timothy. Obviously, our, our theme uh, verse is 1 Timothy uh, 2, verse 5 and 6, where our one word that we have is mediator. And I think this is important because as a, as a mediator, Jesus allows us to come to the Father in prayer. I mean, 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, a man, Christ Jesus. Why does he get to be a mediator? Because he gave himself up. He was a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. So because of his death, his burial and resurrection, Christ has allowed us to confidently and humbly come before the throne. And what you're going to see today is, in some weird way, uh, a model of what he's asking within the church. Who can serve as a mediator? Who can serve as the questions, the issues, the things that I'm dealing with spiritually or physically that comes before the Lord? Who can, who can help us in this? And so yesterday we talked about the power of prayer. Yesterday we talked about the role of women and making sure, as Paul said, hey, let's put some order to this so that you can experience more of his presence. Same thing in 1 Timothy 3. This is not meant to be a weight. Elders and deacons are not meant to be like the principals and the vice principals of our school. Like, that's kind of how sometimes we think, oh, there they are, there's the leaders. Now, remember, we're supposed to pray for the leaders, aren't we? Those that are in authority. So I, I just want to make sure everybody understands the things that we're going to communicate that Paul writes about to Timothy, it's for the betterment of the body of Christ. So, Kevin, here's what I want to emphasize today. I think this is important. I want to encourage those that are in the body of Christ to pull back and look at your congregation. And I want you to say, do we have this in place? Do we have this structure in place? Why is that important? Because the roles that he describes in the body of Christ, he obviously values enough that he takes a whole chapter to say, guys, I need this and this in order for you to be effective church. If he's saying that to Timothy, why would we not take that? Why would we not embrace these principles? So that, that's what I want you to process. How are, how are we structured in the church as well, in your local congregation? And so here's what he says. He says this saying him in verse 1 of 1 Timothy 3. If anybody aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. All right. Now, <laughs> when you're talking through like overseer, bishop, uh, elder, there are going to be times that these words are going to be used interchangeably. Okay. Obviously, they have a purpose, but overall, they, they're used as uh, interchangeably. And here's a cool picture of an elder. Before I even get into these 15 descriptions, because we're going to unfold a list. And it's going to feel like a spiritual laundry list, almost like a checkoff. Nelson's commentary says this. Elders are responsible for internal affairs. Um, man, I don't even like that, what I just said. Because here, here's what it should say. And I, I do think there's truth to this. They're responsible for the spiritual internal affairs. Like they want to make sure that everything spiritually, okay, they are what I would consider the covering of that congregation. 
Okay, then you're going to have the the deacons that come in that serve in the roles of of serving. It's almost the Acts 6, 4 rule, kind of. Just hear me out for a second. Acts 6, 4 talks about here you have the 12, the 12 apostles, and their job is to do the preaching and the praying. Okay, their job is to keep the focus on the spiritual aspect. But then Kevin, what does he do? He integrates the seven, right? Do you remember this? If you keep on going, he integrates the seven. This would be like the Phillips. And so he says, hey, look, here's Stephen, uh, Philip, Procarius, Nicarin, Tamon, Parmenas, Nicolaus, a proselyte from Antioch. Their job was to practically make sure the widows had what they need. So they are serving in that capacity so that the leadership could continue to focus on the word and in prayer. That's kind of the imagery that I want. I know the apostles aren't necessarily, we're not talking about the elders, but that's the picture that, that I'm talking about. Does that make sense? So you have the elders as a spiritual covering that make the spiritual decisions. That's not meant to sound more spiritual than others. It's just, but then you have the deacons that come in and serve a specific role as well. And they're going to make sure things get done within the local congregation. So when we're describing an overseer, hence uh, a, a bishop or an elder, one that oversees things, uh, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be, and then here we go. Now, as we begin to describe what an elder or an overseer or bishop looks like, okay, uh, it's going to feel somewhat legalistic. Like, to people today in today's culture, it's going to feel like, wow, this is a really hard list to live up to. Amen. Why would it be important, Kevin, that this list would be hard to live up to? I think it kind of goes back to the Old Testament. It's to show that we're not, we're not the Lord, we're not God, and it's difficult to be in a position. You're, you're held to a higher standard. You're held to a higher standard because what was the fight in Ephesus? False teaching. And so you have to have people that are walking in right standing, in righteousness, in holiness, in sanctification to protect you from those things. And oh, by the way, Timothy, you need help. That's kind of the beauty of this whole thing. And these guys, and here we go, says must be above reproach. I'm going to read through it and then break it down, okay? They must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, <laughs> respectable, hospitable, an able teacher, not addicted to wine, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, continues on, one who manages his own household com- uh, competently, having his children under control with all dignity, verse 5, if anybody does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? Verse 6, he must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Verse 7, furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. It continues on uh, and, and then it will break up into verse 8 with deacons. So verses 1 through 7, really 2 through 7, has 15 descriptions of an elder. If you wanted somebody, here's how I really want you to look about, look at this. If you really wanted somebody to come in and oversee your congregation, okay, with a group of individuals, like you would want them to fit all of these categories. I mean, think about it. Okay, the very first one. And again, it is going to sound like a list, but we don't do this often. Here's a list of an elder slash overseer, a person who oversees the church of Ephesus. Timothy, this is what you should be looking for. Number one, they need to be above reproach. And all of this, this list comes out of Paul's words, but then the descriptions help come from Tom Constable. They've kind of really helped me break this down. 
Above reproach means they should possess an obvious, no obvious flaw in his character or uh, conduct. No cause for uh, just uh, viable criticism now or in the past to discredit him or the name of Christ. He needs to be above. And you're like, dude, he, he can't be perfect. No, we're not saying that. We're just saying we, we cannot have any reason that somebody would come in and question his character or things that he's done in the past. Now, obviously, if it was before Christ, then you have to say, well, that was before Christ. That makes sense. Like, I'm not talking about if you've done things in your past before Christ. and You're like, well, that was because it's because he didn't know the Lord. So I want to make sure you understand, like, obviously, all of us were like that at some point. <laughs> some just got caught and some didn't. That's the point. So above reproach is number one. Now, number two, this is the one. This is almost like this first Timothy two conversation about the women. Hey, what does he mean by this? Like when it says he is the husband of one wife. Well, naturally, when I look at this, you know what it means? It means he's got one wife. Like that's actually the view. Now, there's four different views. There's four different views of this translation. This is what I love about the Bible. Like everybody's got an opinion, right? And you're like, well, which one is it? So, okay, here, here are a couple of the views, okay? Uh, again, this comes from Tom Constable. First of all, they're implying that the elder must be married. He can't be single. That would be a view. So like the, a husband of one wife, okay? Uh, number two, he must be married only once. Again, different perspectives, how you interpret this, this text. Must be married only once, okay? So Kevin, that would obviously imply a divorced individual, cannot be an elder. That's a, a perspective that people have. You have to be married or you can't ever be divorced again or must be <laughs> monogamous. You can only be married to one person at least at one time. Classic, right, Rich? Well, now I do have a question about the, divor- the divorce and I understand where you're coming from, but wouldn't that be the same thing? What if somebody's wife had passed away and then they remarried? Would they still fall into that category? Correct. And it's absolutely a conversation that people have and have a support that would say he, he might not be qualified. I, I'm not going to take a stance on that because I don't know. <laughs> it does say the husband of one wife. He, here's what would be the cleanest is that no spouse ever died. You're with them forever <laughs> and nobody ever gets divorced. <laughs> and you only have one wife. Like that's never an option. You're not hiding somebody else. Like that would be the ideal situation. Now, another perspective, number four perspective would be you just you need to be a moral husband. <laughs> what? wouldn't that be above reproach <laughs> uh, when paul's writing i like this when he's writing to timothy he's talking about the man's current condition i think you have to at least understand that like he's like hey look man as, as you're looking right now for elders in ephesus please make sure they have one wife like right that's a legit uh a husband of one wife I, you know this is a hard one number three okay it says that you have to be self-controlled okay also, another word, Kevin, would be temperate. Okay, self-controlled means you're, uh, I think this is an interesting way to look at it. You're sober, you're vigilant, you're clear-headed. And this is what I really like. I think for me, this has always helped. You're well-balanced. Uh, the self-control deal, like, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we're ever... Let me, I'll put it myself. I don't know if I'm ever in that state 100%. <laughs> you know, there might be one or two things. You're like, God, what, why, why did I just do that? But this is what we're supposed to look for. People that are. 
above reproach, husband of one wife, not hiding a second, number three, and you are self-controlled. You're balanced in everything that you do, sober, vigilant, clear-headed. Another one, okay, would be sensible, okay? Uh, Another word would be sensible slash prudent, okay? It means you're self-controlled, sensible. You will not speak rashly. Uh, you'll, you'll speak sound judgment. Um, like you have, uh, I don't know, what's another way to describe this word, Rich? What would you say? One, just having common sense that makes wise sound judgment. Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, all right, moving on, just because we have a lot of these lists. Uh, number five uh, would also be respectable. I mean, it means orderly, of good behavior, dignified and decent in his conduct, and maybe even modest. You know, you know what I really like about this? It means it ain't about himself. People have a a high view of this individual because he carries himself in an orderly conduct. His behavior is respectable. Like Jimmy should not have, people should not have negative thoughts towards this person. In fact, our church is doing a, uh, an elder nomination right now. And what they do, and I love about this, is they put this out, here's the names, and then what do they say? Does anybody have any issues with this individual? In other words, is there an issue of respectability in this? So that's why you do this process. So there's reasons why churches do it. Sometimes you just need to know why. If your church isn't doing an elder process, I would say, why not? I would say, Paul says to Timothy, this is a great way to put some structure to your body of Christ. Integrate the role of elders. Now, I know church plant, this is an interesting discussion. When church planners go, it's usually just them and a small team. And then with time, they integrate elders. Praise the Lord. That's usually the process. I mean, think about it. That's what Timothy's doing, right? I need you to integrate what this looks like. Okay, number six. Okay, one of my favorite ones, actually. Hospitable. Hospitable. Okay, which just means you open up your home to other people. Like, you're not stingy. You're not cheap. You open up your place. And here's why I like this one. It means you have nothing to hide. It's kind of a twofold for me when I see an overseer that's hospitable. Uh, and anyway, it's just kind of an interesting word. It actually means, the Greek word actually means loving the stranger. So it means you're really opening up your home to people that you don't even, you can't even get anything from. Does that make sense? You know how sometimes people talk, but you do things in order to gain something. You're really just saying, man, I, I'm doing this because I love you and I love the Lord. And by the way, I have nothing to hide. There's no second wife anywhere. I don't know why that one keeps coming up. That's right, buddy. All right. All right. Keep going. Number seven. An overseer must be able to teach. Okay. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not boring. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Like uh, an overseer might not be your dynamic bishop or head elder or quote unquote your pastor. Okay. But they have to be able to teach. They have to be ordered to integrate the word of God. They must be able to defend the truth. They must be competent in the word of God. Now, their style might be different. They might be a better teacher with small groups. They might be a better teacher with larger groups. They might be a better teacher uh, in personal instruction, but they must be or able to integrate the word of God. And this is really important, you guys, because in this process, they need to be able to um, apply the word, which means they have to be in prayer in order to apply the word. So you have seven things so far, above reproach, husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Why do we have this list? So that we could have balance and structure, not in a weighty deal, you guys, 
but in order for people to flourish in their giftings in the body of Christ. Like an overseer's should be able to sense where the Spirit of God is moving in their body, uh, in, in the body of Christ, and then help steward that. And help steward where the shift is. If they're sensing there needs to be an area of repentance in the church, they need to steward that. If there's an area that they see, man, our church is flat in this area, they need to actually ask the Lord for insight, speak into that, and then guide people into that. Like, they're just not people that stay in the closet and pray. That's good, but they also have to lead them in the process. And their focus is not on the, the tangible things of, uh, you know, my car's tires are bad. The body of Christ needs to help take care of those things. But deacons can come in and help serve those roles. They can help make sure that those things get done. Does that make sense? These guys need to see the bigger, the bigger picture. And here's what's interesting. They're appointed by, by man. Is that a fair statement, Rich? Yeah, because these are qualifications that you as a... If I was a member of a church, I could look at these individuals and say, do they fit into this category? I also feel like the teaching part, yeah. if you're Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, who apparently has stomach issues. And so say Timothy wakes up on a Sunday morning and he can't preach. You ought to be able to call him one of your elders Good. who isn't going to bring in a false teaching. Yeah. So you eliminate that possibility by having an elder being able to teach. Yeah, that's great. Great insight. And stomach issues. Uh, it's, it's true. Uh, number eight. I think this is an interesting one. You're not addicted to wine. <laughs> Nobody wants the drunk elder to show up. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. <laughs> That's a really bad impersonation. Uh, I mean, you're not, you're not this drunkard who lives off of wine, but you're living off the Word of God. Now, it doesn't say you can't drink wine. It just says you're not addicted to wine. Big difference, Okay. Again, don't take things out of context. You can drink, just in moderation. And an elder should be one that is not addicted. Okay, it continues on. Um, uh, Number nine is what we have. Not a bully, but gentle. (laughs) Uh, I'll I'll put it a different way. You're not violent. Uh, Constable says a giver of blows. (laughs) What? Uh, like you don't respond with physical violence. You don't respond with verbal violence in order to vent or anger to take care of disputes. Like, dude, you're just, you're relaxed. Nobody wants a hothead uh, uh, as an elder. Uh, again, you can go many different ways with this, but that's really kind of the, the bigger picture here. And then number 10, which is why he counters it with, and he says, and they need to be gentle. Uh, a gentle just means uh, you're patient, you're forbearing, you're willing to walk through this process regardless of who says what and how they say it. Timothy, like who do you want on your team? Nobody wants a hothead. Nobody wants a drunkard. People want people who are sensible and prudent in the process. You're self-controlled, you're well-balanced. And, and so I, I love this list because I think it's, it's such a practical list and yet, and yet, this is what's kind of interesting about it. Um, it's pretty real. Like you can tangibly walk through this process. Back number 11. If we can go there, and this is kind of a, a big one, you are not quarrelsome. Okay, so uh, Constable says it this way. You are uncontentious. Uncontentious. Okay, a.k.a. you're not quarrelsome. Uh, it's a, you're, you're not a fighter or a brawler. Kind of the same deal with the not violent. 
Uh, like you're not looking to stir the pot. Don't you? There's people out there, you guys, that are constantly looking to be like, hey, hmm, let's see if I can go after the lady in the third pew and constantly make an issue for her. Like, let's not do that. Like, you don't have to walk through this process. Now, n- number 12, uh, and Mindy even paints this on her painting about the money. Uh, you need to be not greedy. Okay, you need to be free from the love of money. Now, look, uh, it's the love of money that's the issue. It's not the possession of it. It's the same thing with wine. Okay, Uh, it is the love of money, not the possession of it. You need to find contentment in what you have. Now, you have to understand something. Kevin, if you go to first Timothy five, 17 and 18, this was actually a problem in Ephesus. Okay, look, the elders who are good leaders should be considered worthy of an ample honorarium, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Verse 18, for the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain and the workers worthy of his wages. The elders could actually earn money. According to text, Paul writes, the elders can earn money, but you do not become an elder or a lead elder, which in some context would be how a pastor is a part of this, okay? So this is what we're talking about. You can earn money. You just don't do it to make money. Somebody in ministry, just say amen. (laughs) But the problem is, is that something was creeping in and Paul said, hey, look, man, you don't do this because you think you're going to make some money. You don't want elders who are greedy. Now, number 13. Uh, Number 13 is kind of an interesting one. And I think it's probably a really good gauge of whether or not they're going to be an effective elder. It's one who manages his own household. Okay? One who manages his own household. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple of descriptions. Uh, it means that he actually has control of his family. It means that family members actually are okay in submitting to the father's leadership, to the husband's leadership. They do this because of response, out of, out of uh, respect for him. Uh, Think about this. The elders' responsibilities in church are very similar to like a parental mindset. If you think about it, uh, they are, if you, he proves his ability in the home, then if that's the case, then he has a larger responsibility with the body of Christ. Rich? Are, are you saying the church is full of a bunch of kids? Yeah, the home is a proving ground. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, I love what Constable says. It is a proving ground for the church, the body of Christ. And so why would I want to go? So you want to, this is in all honesty, you can go through this whole list. But if you walk into a guy's house and if you have the gift of discernment and you just sense that the house is a mess, I'm talking about physically, spiritually, you can walk into an environment if you have the gift of discernment and just be like, whoa, something feels off. Like, I think it's a good gauge. Whenever you interview an elder, go meet him in his home and maybe not tell him when you're coming. (laughs) I think about it, though. That's one of the reasons that whenever I leave the house and I travel, it's always important for me. I always say this to you guys. I have to have all my bills lined up, all my paperwork lined up, my yard taken care of. I I try. Does it happen? No. Because we're human and it's life. But I, th- I do think it's a reflection of how you manage and take care of your home is how you will help lead a church, a ministry, an organization, a business, and in this context, uh, a church in Ephesus. Hey, please make sure your children are under control with all dignity. 
Like, man, I got four wild cannons. Maya, Nadia, Sayla, and Jude. Like, if some days you base my ability to, <laughs> to be an elder based on how they reacted, I might not always get in. So we understand there's grace and mercy in this process. But I think at all times you have this understanding. Please take care of your house. Like, if there's a nagging thing in your house, take care of it. Maybe there's an issue with your wife. Please go before the Lord and take care of this. If you have an issue with your kids, now some of you are going to say, well, look, man, I, my kid is uh, it's a rogue sheep. Like, I understand there are situations that not all of us can handle and control. But I think this is a good gauge of managing our own household competently. Kevin, you got any other thoughts on this? I, I think it's just, you just look, the list all falls together. Yeah, and they intertwine. You know, manage your own household, you got one wife. I mean, they really go together. Uh, they're self-control, you're hospitable. Anyway, number 14, just to keep moving along, says he must not be a new convert. Not a new baby. <laughs> not a new convert. You know, I, what's new? That's the question. One day? Oh, you're good. It's just not today. Is it one year? One month? I, I think that there has to be somehow, some way, he can fit all of these other qualifications. Does he understand hospitality? Does he understand not addicted to wine? Does he understand respectable? Does he understand gentle, not violent? So like to me, the new convert says, does he reflect all these other characteristics? Because it's going to take him a while to fully grasp the holiness life of us reflecting of Christ. Because if you're a new convert, you might become a little proud. Like, hey, look at me, man. I just came to know the Lord. You become conceited and then you fall into the condemnation of the devil. You begin to fall into the enemy's traps. And then number and finally, number 15, and we're only going to cover the elders today uh, and not the deacons. But you have to understand is that you have to have a good reputation outside the church. In other words, you work in a factory. You're on the line and everybody thinks you're a jerk. The way you talk, the way you act. When you come into church, you know, you got your Jimmy's got his tie on. He's got his jacket on, starched well. His kids are all lined up, hair combed. <laughs> but inside the factory, that's Jimmy the jerk. Nobody wants to hang out with that guy. You got to have a good reputation among everybody. And I think that's key. I don't know why the kids have to have the hair like this. But when you think through, Timothy, the role of an elder, these qualifications are crazy high crazy high and yet these are 15 that you have to pray through and ask do they fit the quality and i'll tell you this if there's one area that you're like ah, wait don't put them into this role if they're not ready and so i just i love this process timothy put this through now when you look at the deacons uh you know i would just tell you this there's another list of up to 12 of how they would define deacons. And there's a lot of the same list. But remember, elders and el overseers are going to be ones who uh, give spiritual guidance to the congregation. Deacons come in are, in my opinion, are the ones who are the doers. They're the ones that get the task done within the church. They could be the deacon of, of the men, the deacon of the women, the deacon of the kids. It could be the deacon of the congregation, whatever. In order to make sure that these, these tasks are done, so that the elders are not weighed down by those everyday tasks. It's not a lesser thing. Remember this. 
It's more about the order that God has put in place. And Paul is saying, Timothy, if you want Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, to thrive for the Lord, please put elders and deacons in place. Apologize, I didn't get to go through the, the details here of what this looks like through the deacons, but I think you would have a, a I think you would do well. You would do well if you prayed through that and just said, okay, how are we seeing this in our own congregation? All right, guys, have a great day, and we'll talk to you about First Timothy 4 tomorrow.